verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. And now you can be seated. Well, happy Easter, everybody. It is good to be with you. Um, I want to especially say welcome to those of you who maybe it's been a while since the last time you were here. I, in fact, I really want to say welcome to you if it's been a while since you've been in any church at all. I, I hope you know that. You genuinely are welcome here. And I want to even personally offer that if you have any questions about the service, if you have any questions about faith, I would love to get together with you this week and, and talk about those things. I'd love to know where you're coming from, what brings you here this morning. Um, but we want this place to be a place where people can come and encounter the living God. And uh, as we get started this morning, I'm going to just I'm gonna let you in on a secret uh, right from the beginning. I accidentally preached my Easter sermon like four weeks ago. <laughs> so I know it's, it is kind of embarrassing, <laughs> but you know, we have been preaching through John for a while here, for weeks and weeks, and uh, about four weeks ago, we got to the empty tomb, and at that point, I knew I wasn't preaching today, and so I just went ahead and preached my Easter sermon. You know that sermon we get every year around this time where it's got, you know, all the apologetics arguments, all the facts, all the, all the things that will convince you that reasonable people should take the account of the resurrection seriously. And uh, yeah, so I spent that one. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of rough for me. If you're interested in hearing that one, you can go on our website, you can look through the archives, you can listen to that. But today, we're going to have to do something different. Uh, today, instead of me telling you why you should consider the facts of the resurrection, why you can uh, believe that these accounts are reliable, uh, today I just, instead, I want to talk about why you should at least want them to be true. Today I want to talk about how the resurrection at its core is such good news that when you really understand what it means, you cannot help but at least wish that it were true. And it is true. So as we look at this first interaction today, what we're looking at is the first interaction between Jesus and his disciples after the resurrection. And what I hope that we're going to see is that the resurrection is not just a moment that is foundational to the Christian faith, but what it really is is the dawning of our greatest hope. It is the answer to our deepest longing. Because the resurrection means that Christ has come to bring you peace. 
Christ has come to bring you peace. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That the resurrected Christ brings the peace that the whole world is looking for. And that he offers it to you freely. And that when you receive it, you come alive. Now, as we get started here, I really need to say something that is pretty obvious. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. I love the church calendar. I love Easter. I love these traditions that lead us to celebrate and rejoice and think about the resurrection on this Sunday. But I know this is also supposed to be, because of that, one of these more upbeat kind of services, right? And sometimes you have one of those years where celebrating just doesn't quite feel right. Where it seems a little bit out of sync with the reality that's taking place all around us in the world. And I kind of feel that way this week. Robert mentioned it in his prayer, right, just two weeks ago. We were all sitting there reading the stories, watching the news about yet another one of these terrible school shootings that took place in Nashville. And it happened this time at a church that wasn't that different from our own. For me, that was uh, an event that hit even closer to home than usual. That pastor and his wife uh, who lost their child, they were actually in the same graduating class with my wife at the University of Tennessee. And his wife was one of her sorority sisters. And their child is just a few months younger than one of ours. And so I looked online and I saw we have all these mutual connections and friendships and relationships. We were even in the same denomination at one point. I, who knows, I may have met the guy. But as I was sitting there and, and reading those stories, I just realized, you know, I'm about to be 41. Just a couple of weeks. And, and it struck me that these things have been happening since I was in high school. There have been more of these kind of moments than I can possibly remember. And every time it takes place, we're, it's always the same thing, right? We're all shocked. We're all saddened. We're all heartbroken about it. And then we inevitably get sucked into all of our divisions, right? We get worked up over politics and culture wars, and then nothing changes, and then eventually we move on, and then the same thing happens again. And the whole cycle repeats. And I'm just a pastor. I'm not up here to offer solutions to these kinds of things. But, but I just can't help but when I see these moments think, it's just messed up. And I think we all know it. We all know that it shouldn't be this way. We know this world is broken. And that's why we're here this morning. Because if Christ truly rose from the dead, it means it won't be this way forever. When the resurrected Christ showed up to his disciples the evening uh, of his resurrection, that's what his first words were all about. We read in this passage 
That when Jesus returned, the thing that he repeated to his disciples over and over again, in verse 19, he says, peace be with you. Again, in verse 21, he says, peace be with you. In the passage after this that we'll read next week, he says, peace be with you. Now, the Gospel of John is written in Greek, but that word peace actually has a Hebrew concept behind it. It's a word that you may have heard before. It's the word shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom is an amazing word. Shalom is a word that, that means peace, but, but it's bigger than that. It's a much bigger word. Peace, according to uh, this philosopher, uh, Cornelius Plantiga, here's how he defines it. He says, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which the natural needs are satisfied and the natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. That word ought is key. We all know this world ought to be different. We know things are not right. And it's funny, right? Because this, is, this mess that we live in is the only thing any of us can ever remember. And yet, instinctively, we know deep down this is not the way it should be. And it's not just those big issues that are out there, right? It's not those, those, those big things, just those big things that are wrong, right? The, the shootings and the, the war and racism and poverty and all these things. But, but it's also the things in here that aren't right. We wrestle internally with loneliness and anxiety and, and fear and and depression, and we know that something is off. We're always yearning for peace in our minds and in our hearts and in this world around us. We have this internal awareness that things ought to be different. And I'll say, in those moments, what we are looking for is shalom. It's the reality God created us for. The world, as he first made it, where he declared that everything was good. That world of universal flourishing with God at the center of everything. And in this passage, in this miraculous moment on this most miraculous day when Jesus first shows up to his disciples the thing he says to them is shalom be with you what he's saying there is because I am alive it means that shalom has broken in on this world again it means that the restoration of all things has begun the restoration, the renewal of everything. You know that's what we believe, right? 
That's where we say all this stuff is headed. Have you ever gotten to the end of the Bible and read it? Revelation chapter 21. Here's what it says happens. And then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new. That's not what they show us in the cartoons, right? Little transparent souls floating around with wings and harps living up in the clouds. That is not our hope. The hope of the Christian faith is the hope of the resurrection, right? Jesus is flesh and blood because he is the first glimpse of the restoration that is coming for everyone who trusts in him. That is the gospel. That's what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that all the pain and all the brokenness and all the ruin and the misery that that is out there, well, Well, it is out there because it's also in here. And each and every one of us has played a role in contributing to that crack that runs through everything in the universe. Each of us has played a part in breaking that shalom that God created. But... On the cross, the prophet Isaiah says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us shalom was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. When Christ comes and declares, peace be with you, that is what he's talking about. That means this is the glory of Easter. This is what we're all here for. The resurrection proves that you aren't crazy. This world is broken. It needs to be made new. We were made for more than this. Jesus has come to bring you what you're looking for. He has come to bring you peace. If you want it. Well, the second thing I want to tell you about this morning is that he offers it to you freely. When these men encountered Jesus, they went from fear to joy. Did you notice that? We read it pretty quick. But where do we find them in verse 19? What's it say? It says that on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, then Jesus came. So we find these guys locked inside of a room, afraid for their lives. And of course they were afraid. 
up until this point, they had very different expectations for Jesus. They thought things were going to go a lot differently. All of those years that they had spent following Jesus around, they believed that he was the king and that they were a part of the king's entourage. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He was this long prophesied and foretold king who was going to come and rescue the people of God. And in fact, he was that Messiah. But all their lives, they had been led to expect that when this Messiah came, that he was going to come with a power and authority and majesty and might, and he was going to wipe out all of God's enemies. They thought that despite all the times that Jesus said things like, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Despite these teachings, up until his death, they were still clinging to this idea that Jesus was going to sit on the throne, and when he did, they might even get cabinet seats in the new administration, right? They might get a nice corner office in the palace with a comfy leather chair. And so, when Jesus ended up dead, crucified, beside a plaque that mockingly said, King of the Jews, they were in crisis mode. They were in a locked room fearing what might be next, fearing that they might be next. Their hopes were shattered. But what they found out that first Easter Sunday evening was that the death of Jesus was not an accident. It wasn't a failure. But it was precisely what had to happen. Now Luke, in his account his version of this same story, tells us that in that room, Jesus came and he explained to them just that. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Now, there's no telling how the disciples might have felt in that moment when, they first, when Jesus first appeared in the room. Maybe they were afraid to see him. Maybe they were ashamed to see him. After all, the, the last time they had seen him, they had abandoned him in his moment of greatest need. They'd run away. Peter had loudly denied that he even knew him. But instead, in these few verses, we read that as they saw the wounds, as they heard his declaration, peace, be with you. They realized that when Jesus went to the cross, 
He did it for them. They saw not only the wounds in his hands and his side, but they saw the smile on his face. And when they heard him speak, their whole reality changed. In that split second, they went from being terrified to being overjoyed. They realized that they had been given a gift that they did not deserve. They had been given God's love. They had been given his favor. They had been given his forgiveness, his welcome. They had been given peace with God. Now, look, folks, I'm just going to be real with you. (laughs) I have spent a lot of time this week wrestling, trying to figure out the, the most eloquent, the most creative, the most memorable way to try to get this point across to you. And... I can't do it. So I'm just going to be blunt. (laughs) I'm just going to say what I mean. Don't leave here today without seeing Jesus. Don't leave here today without seeing him. Don't wait till Christmas. (laughs) Don't wait till next Easter to think about him again. Don't miss what God is offering you. Because this is what you were made for. He is the only one who can satisfy the deepest desires of your hearts. And you know, you may already think you're a Christian. You may already consider yourself a Christian. But but let me ask you, have you seen his wounds? And realize that they are for you. For you specifically. Not for someone else. They are there as a reminder that the wrath of God has been poured out. Forever. On his son. It's finished. You know, I spent a lot of my life as a Christian came to faith at an early age. But it wasn't until I was in seminary that I started to grasp how good the good news really is. And by that point, I had spent a lot of my life doing a lot of good things for God. I'd been a youth pastor. I'd been in campus ministry. I'd been a missionary. I'd even been a, a lowly soundboard volunteer. Shout out to John Johnston and the The crew back there, Ruby, my daughter, (laughs) Rick, I see you too, not going to, but after doing all those things, one day, it finally dawned on me, wow, God is pleased with me, he smiles at me, God looks at me and he says, peace be with you. Every morning, not because of my behavior, not because of the good things I've done, not because of my performance, not because of my potential, not because of working hard on my Easter sermon, (laughs) but because of his son. This is the good news. Because Jesus rose, we are free. 
Because Jesus rose, everything miserable and awful about this broken world will one day come untrue. Because Jesus rose, peace with God and joy in his presence are available to you right now, today. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is look at those wounds and and look at his face and receive the gift of his perfect life for yours. And maybe you're hearing that today for the first time. Maybe you're hearing it for the millionth time, but the, the message is the same. I want you to know it's for you today. He is for you. He is for you. Jesus, the Son of God, came because he wants you to be with him forever. So, don't let your fear keep you hiding. Don't let your shame prevent you from looking up and seeing his face. He is looking at you today, and he is offering himself freely. He's saying, come touch my wounds. Come touch my side. Come follow me. Come receive my peace. And the last thing I want you to know this morning is that when you do that, when you receive his peace, you come alive. At the end of this passage, it says again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is actually really cool. I wish we had time to like dig into to all of the things that are going on here in the text. But, but you should know at the very least that in this verse... John is actually alluding way back to the beginning of the Bible. He's alluding all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where it says that God first breathed life into humanity. One of the big themes of this whole gospel, actually, this whole book called the Gospel of John, is this theme that Jesus is recreating us. Genesis and John even start with the very same words. Did you know that? They both start by saying, in the beginning. And here in this point of the the story, John wants us to see, by using those very specific words, he wants us to see that not only is Jesus' resurrected body a glimpse into this great restoration that's going to come one day, but by the power of his Holy Spirit, He literally puts new life inside of us. He literally recreates us in his image. He begins that work of recreating us in the moment that we come to faith. And that's the amazing thing about our salvation. You know, I'm up here talking, you know, giving out theology and doctrine. But you need to know, our faith is not just a series of facts and doctrines, and ideas that we need to accept rationally. But it is a power that we receive. 
When you turn to Jesus for your salvation, he doesn't just give you propositions to consider, a, a new philosophy to live by. It says he breathes life into you. Paul tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in the people of God. Did you know that? When we place our faith in him, his spirit, it dwells inside of us. That shalom, restoring power starts to work in us and change us. And by his spirit, we become more and more like him. Sometimes in fits and starts, right? Sometimes it's hard. But it happens by his power. Not our own. We start to come alive. And I don't even have to tell you this, right? Because if you've met someone when they first come to faith, you've seen this happen to people, haven't you? If you have ever been around an old saint who has been walking with the Lord for decades. You have seen what it means for someone to become truly alive. As we live in communion with God, as we live in connection with his people in the church, as we experience his peace day in and day out, through our failings, through our struggles, through our triumphs, we become more and more the people he has created us to be people who glorify God and enjoy him forever. And in the same way, at the very end of this passage, Jesus as he goes on and he looks at these disciples and he says, "Peace with you, be with you." We get to do that same thing. We get to go out and we get to be agents of that same peace. We get to look at other people and say, "Peace be with you." We carry his shalom out into the world. We get to go into the world and we get to work towards that universal flourishing. We work for justice and peace and, and unity and healing in the world. But even more than that, we get to go into the world and we get to declare that the forgiveness of God is available to them. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced him breathe his life into you? Have you come alive? Wherever you might be this morning, I want to invite you to come to him today. To come to him in repentance. To come to him in faith. To hear him declare over this world and over you, Behold, I am making all things new. Including you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. But more than your word, we thank you for your power. Your power that brought Christ from the dead and gives us life. Lord, I am just a person doing my best to explain eternal truths. And so I pray for your spirit, God. Please move. Call the people to yourself who need to know you. Lord, bring us all to repentance, transform us, and make us more like you. I pray that for our church this morning. I pray it for all the other churches that are gathered today, declaring this same truth. Lord, would you break out in revival? We pray in Christ's name.